Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Brian Glibkowski. Brian is an author and the creator of the of Answer Intelligence. Brian, what on earth is Answer Intelligence? Answer Intelligence is the ability to provide elevated answers to important questions. It's, it's really, if I can say one more thing, it's this idea that Questions and answers are important to conversations, but we have underemphasized the role of answers, underappreciated it. It's really shining a spotlight on answers and how we can be more influential in important conversations. Now, in a moment, I'd like to talk about your background, but this is just too important to miss. If we're having conversations with people, I think the thing that seems to be missing is humanity. Because the sales function has been taught to try and control and drive people down a funnel and, you know, it's do a move on people, manipulate them. No one wants to be done a move on. And what they want are answers because they're just about to make a, a decision that could affect their entire career, the business. It could derail the whole thing. If it gets goes well, they could get massively promoted. If it goes wrong, they may never work again. So these are really important decisions. And I think as sellers, as vendors, we have to appreciate that the human being, the buyer, deserves to have their questions answered, and we shouldn't be fending them off. So explain to me, as if I'm an eight-year-old, quite an intelligent idiot, why we should be uh, balancing more towards answers. I'll I'll answer that. I'll, I'll lean into your point about humanity. And I think you're right. There's these these models for conversations that involve control by sales reps and other things that really don't serve us very well. Here's a different lens on a conversation, leaning into humanity. You think about an effective conversation, say the conversation we're having now, but let's say a conversation with a friend over coffee. That conversation is balanced. Both people speak about equally. Both people ask and answer questions. And if it was anything other than that, it wouldn't be interesting conversation. You wouldn't want to do it again. That's so why we I don't have any friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But <laughs> if we take that to the sales conversation, I think what we have is we have to look at the starting point. And these are question-based methods that can digress to interrogations, and they're not balanced. So we have to seek to provide balance. And that means, yes, we ask questions as sellers, we have to be very good at providing answers. And we're looking for a conversation that is balanced, where both parties are providing questions and answers effectively. And what that means is sales reps need to get better at providing answers than they are currently. And I would also assert they need to be better at questions, but that's a secondary point. Okay. I'm going to challenge you, not because I disagree, but because I want to dig um, into the point a little bit. I think some of the most instructive moments in my career have been where I've been able to ask a question and in framing the answer, the customer solves their own problem in such a way that gives them a leap forward. It's an epiphany. And because I was the person who asked the question, thankfully, I'm also the person who can probably help them to achieve their uh, outcome. Now, I'd like to work out whether or not it is the quality of the answer or the quality of the question that really matters the most, or is it about finding excellence in both? 
Because I suspect it's the latter. It's about both. And yes, you want to ask effective questions and the seller, the buyer, you know, responds and give rhetorical questions. And these are all techniques that are important. But there are the times when the seller does not know. And if you could provide the answer, you're going to close the deal, right? And, and there, there are times when you provide answers, it creates influence. For example, in my book, I have a chapter on sales AQ, sales answer intelligence, co-authored by Salesforce and Gong. And just one illustrative point is that in the discovery uh, section of a, of a call, or actually for appointment setting, if you're doing appointment setting, if you ask questions, you lose. You have to provide answers in our framework, which we haven't talked about these answer types, but stories, metaphors, perhaps, perhaps a key feature that stimulates the question in the buyer. So there's a there's an example where you lead with answers. It creates questions in the buyer that creates a subsequent opportunity. And that sort of goes against some of the zitgeist out there with you have to focus on questions. There's just one little example. You have to focus on answers. But um, yeah, I will totally agree. You have to be good at both. And that's all we're saying here. Okay. So again, what one of my regular war cries is that, uh, and it baffles me to this day, one of the most fundamental skills, whether being a buyer or a seller or a manager or a leader or a parent uh, or a spouse, is listening. Why on God's earth do we not spend way more time teaching people how to listen and listen intentionally, listen in the moment and yeah. be fully present? Because that's where the transfer of emotion happens. Yeah, let me lean into that as well. You know, and I'll digress briefly, but I'll tell you, I'll give you an example related to tennis. And then I'm going to relate to active listening real quick. So in tennis in the 80s, you know, sports psychology, they wanted people to be intentional. So when the ball comes over the net and it hits the ground, you say ground. When it hits your racket, you say racket. It's about intentionality. And then you're in the moment. The same thing is true for active listening, but people don't understand what active listening is. Too often they think active listening is just, I try to not think about anything and I just like somehow just, just try to hang on every word the other person says. That's not really what active listening is. Active listening is similar to how I set it up, you know, bounce, racket. These are cues that help you engage. So in answer intelligence terms, active listening is listening for questions, listening for answers, and thinking about responses in both question and answer terms. So for example, if I'm in a meeting and I, and I hear the buyer say basically a question, you know, how are we going to solve this? You know, then I'm going to think about an answer response in the AQ framework, it's procedures or actions where I can respond to that question. So it's about being very focused and active listening, but doing it in a functional way that's promoting conversation as opposed to just, you know, sort of mindlessly hanging on words. When you do that, you know, your effectiveness increases. Ah, and this then brings me to another really vitally important point, which is um, that one of the things that's frustrating the living hell out of me at the moment is the obsession with efficiency and the uh, the sacrificial lamb on this is effectiveness. Uh, it's relationships. It's a, a lack of patience and uh, this uh, short-term thinking, short-term behavior, short-term KPI, short-term reward, short-term punishment. All of this is short term and it makes the customer and it also makes your employees and your partners forgotten afterthoughts, but mostly the customer. 
your employees will put up with it because most of them are needy, desperate, and skint. Let's be honest. If you have a large sales team, most of them are not hitting quota now. So they'll do the bad behaviors because they're told to. But the price that businesses pay for doing this, for having short-term thinking, is astronomical. So what are the kind of answers that you would be looking for from leaders about their culture, about their compensation, about the people side, and moving away from the overemphasis of the financial and the, uh, the mad overemphasis on metrics? Yeah, so a lot packed in there. I'll respond this way, that effective conversations, which I, th- I think are, are broadening what we discuss, they're not singular, and in, in this case, you know, financials, there's more to it than that. And I'll give you sort of a proposition, then I'll explain an example. So I think of a, a GPS, global positioning system, you know, that's, you know, three points triangulate. So an effective conversation needs to have, you know, three or more answers to be something substantive. You know, we might discuss a story, a metaphor, a concept or procedure, not just a single thing. And when we're talking to someone, we have to be multidimensional to look at multiple types of answers, and it's more holistic. So, for example, if I'm talking to a company, I want to understand, you know, why are you in business? So they're going to tell me a story. They're going to tell me a theory in AQ terms and other answers, just their strategy. We want to know what's important to you, key concepts, and you can transform those into metaphors. How do you work with you know, others on your team, procedures and actions? You just, and this sounds very technical the way I'm laying it out, but there, there's multiple answers that connect to different questions. And that's the key is to move around to different questions. And, right, and so to, just to clarify, you're trying to stimulate the buyer to ask questions, specific types of questions, so that pre-planned, pre-ordained answers can be given that enable the customer to advance in their understanding along their buying journey. Yes. So they're like if you're gonna, if we're gonna make this relate to sales and keep it very general, why should I buy from you? What is your product? How do we work with you? So what is our product? We may Think about that in terms of, you know, it enables creativity, it enables uh, efficiency or whatever is important. Then you have a story about that. Then they ask how you do that. You talk about your process to enable that. So just keying off your point there, you do have preordained, you know, answers you can use, but AQ in a minimal level, just like any conversation, is not a script. So you have scripted answers you can use. But the most effective conversationalists are drawing upon all their experiences and dynamically providing answers. And as a straw man for that, one of our certified partners is in the improv space and how improv works. Second City folks from Chicago, ex-Second City, the way improv works is you have a mountain of experience. You do the improv based on principles such as yes and. You always go forward, not backwards. Now, in AQ terms, based on our research, We have high AQ practices of how you combine questions and answers together. So what you're doing is those that really understand conversation and AQ are dynamically drawing upon different answers and different knowledge and and constructing the conversation as opposed to merely just using scripts. Okay, so uh, absolutely agreed. Having frameworks, uh, they're they're sheet music. 
you know, you're Whitney, I'm Lemmy, we're both singing It's a Wonderful Life. It's a massively different sound, same note, same uh, tune, same order, but yeah, it sounds, it's our voice. And I think part of the problem here is that often people have learned tactics and technique, which they then apply prescriptively, and they don't understand the fundamentals. They don't understand human beings. And David Sanna said that, you know, once you've learned how to sell, don't waste any more time learning about more selling processes and techniques. Spend all of your time and money learning about understanding people. And that is a, a, a clarion call that I'm hearing from the greats. You know, Mark Schaefer, Mark Herbert. Uh, I'm hearing it from all the big, the really successful people who have demonstrable results behind them, not people who are three years on the market and um, you know, they've come up with the next greatest thing that they've recobbled. These are people who've lived or died by their outcomes. And they're all calling for a return to humanity, a return to see the world through the customer's eyes and think as the customer, not about them and what you can do to them or what you can get from them. So yeah. my question here then is, how do you use this answer technology internally to ensure that you've got alignment within your own organization? Because it strikes me that the applicability would be best served to begin with inside rather than out. Yeah, so maybe we could move to some some concrete examples, you know, in sales, outside of sales. So let's say outside of sales, internally. Here's an example. So let's let's take the scenario where the company wants the, you know, the team to come back to the office. And we can discuss the merits of that, but you know, back to the office. And there's an all-hands meeting, and there's implicit and explicit questions. What does it mean to go back to the office? Why are we going back to the office? How are we going back to the office? And to humanize this, you have to anticipate these questions. They could be explicit, implicit, and there's other forms as well. So if I'm preparing as a senior executive, I'm going to have six answers for these different questions. And but in the moment, I need to react and respond and know where people are at. So for example, I may be addressing the why question. You know, why are we going back? And I tell this great story about, you remember back in the day when we were back in the office and these great things happened? And I tell that story. But if I don't address the how question, how are we going to go back to the office as a procedure, for example, three steps. Month one, we're going to do this. Month two, this. Month three, that. What happens? My credibility goes down. And, and everyone in the all hands meeting says they haven't thought this through. So this right, is about thinking about the answers completely. And when you do that, you're more effective, you influence. Right. But Brian, you're talking about something that it seems to be distinctly lacking in leadership and management. I, and I don't necessarily point the finger of blame at them because more often than not, they're very, very busy. But the reason they're very, very busy is because they haven't done the deep thinking they're not spending time in reflection. They are not looking for the bad news. They're not going for the gaps and they're not trying to disprove their hypotheses that convince them that they're on the right track. And for me, the biggest turning point, I think, in any business is when leadership finally grasps that and commits to it. Yeah, I think you're touching on something important here in the AQ framework. There's question and answer mapping, which is techniques. You know, why question relates to story and theory? You know, what question, concept, and metaphor? But there's a second piece, which is the content of the answers, the substantive stories, 
the metaphors, they all matter. And you have to be students of your business and of life. So, you know, for example, this research was done with the top golf instructors in the world, and they were unbelievable communicators. And um, this one person seemed to always have the right metaphor. And I said, Did you know, do you have the right metaphor? And he says, Yes. And then I said, well, what happens if you get it wrong? And he says, you know, I don't usually do that, but I have a second metaphor at the ready. You know, so how many in the sales domain have exemplar stories, more than one, exemplar metaphors, procedures that describe their company, they can define key concepts, et cetera, and so forth. And what we find is my work with sales organizations is that they're missing complete answer sets. So they may have a story, but, uh, you know, they probably don't have good stories. But then even if they do have stories, you completely stump them by saying, do you have a portfolio of metaphors to explain key products that you have? And they can't do it. And just to you know, give you an example of this in real time, you know, I'm selling stuff. I'm selling answer intelligence. So I use my own framework. And you know, I've already, I started our call by defining answer intelligence. It's the ability to provide elevated answers to important questions. So that answers the what question. But I can also answer it as a metaphor. And I have many of them. I could say AQ is a target. How are you going to hit the bullseye if you don't have a target to aim at? So how are we going to hit that target of providing high quality answers if we don't have a framework? We don't know there's six answers. You know, so that's one metaphor. What it boils down to, going back to your point, is that if you're an executive internal or a salesperson external, you have to be a student of whatever it is that you're focusing on. And just to really belabor this point, you know, the top golf instructors, one of them had a library of 3,500 books. They were a student of psychology, of physics, of everything. Now, as a sales rep, you don't have to have a huge library like that, but you need to be a student of whatever's important for you and find those answers for your how you reflect your company, the, the buying, the industry you're serving, or whatever else is relevant. And I think too much of that is absent. And, and that's often why we can't have effective conversations because we're not, you know, heavily invested in being expert and being interesting in whatever the topic is. It's, it's quite interesting because physiologically, I keep finding myself catching my breath um, because I'm starting to pull several threads together here. And one of the really interesting issues is that we've got lots and lots of people who say that they want to accomplish things but they're generally not necessarily that committed to putting the effort in that's required. Now, the other challenge that we've got is more often than not, there is a large amount of ignorance. They just don't know any better. It's not willful ignorance yet. Once they're informed about these things, then it becomes willful. But more often than not, they just don't know because they don't have that frame of reference. And they do what was done to them or what they learned first because or what made what they think made them successful and i think one of the huge challenges here is that because we don't spend enough time in reflection and planning and rehearsal and refinement and um, you know that incremental improvement i mean one of my favorite lessons i teach all of my clients and my salespeople is the half a percent rule just improve by half a percent a day. That's at the top of everybody's job description. If you do that, you're tripling performance capability every year. 
That, now, that's astonishing. But again, you have to step back and think, where can we apply the least amount of force for the greatest amount of torque? So I'm really interested in some of the outcomes that you've been able to help your customers accomplish by yeah. implementing this answer framework. Yeah, I'll uh, give you an example. But first, I want to point out that, you know, answer intelligence is all around us. We're all using it, and it's an inductive research built upon experts who do it. And so you're an expert communicator, and you just pointed out, you know, this action, you know, increased by, you know, a half a percent each day. That's an action, right? You know, how do I get better? You know, you're, you know if they listen, it'll help them. Here's an example in the sales context. I have a partner in London focusing on sales. He had a client, which was a, a big ticket project management firm that built, basically managed and built resorts uh, in the Caribbean for, you know, these sort of, uh, you know, companies that would, you yeah. know, um, you know uh, have these resorts. Anyways, he was working with a team of engineers that for different circumstances, basically were summoned to the Caribbean to meet with a board and um, talk about this project they were going to build. And they were terrified because these were not salespeople. They were engineers and they were terrified of doing this. So basically, our certified partner brought out the answer intelligence framework, which for your listeners is a circular framework with six answers. And it, you know, it's as sort of an elegant simplicity to it. So what they did was they developed six answers for basic questions. You know, what is your service? Why should we buy from you? How do we work with you? They developed the six answers and they actually developed one slide. I wouldn't really recommend this, but they went into the presentation with this slide and they, they killed it. They won the deal. They won two or three other deals. They won you know, several million dollars in, in billings and it was very successful. But through AQ, they were allowed to take all this knowledge they have and channel it intentionally. So for example, as a metaphor, they, they not only provided a metaphor of themselves, but they provided metaphors of the other parties. They basically described the other parties' project management approach as linear like a train. And basically when rocks get on the track, you are stuck. But their approach is sort of navigating the seas and they can move around things. I mean, there's more to it than delivery of that metaphor. My point is, they had all the answers. They had multiple stories of success and their confidence went up to a very heightened level before the meeting because they were prepared. They delivered, it went well, they executed. And that's the kind of results you can have. People that are just average communicators can elevate themselves because these are simple principles and that anyone can apply. You are very, very, very unlikely throughout your entire career to encounter an original objection or an original question. After you've been on 30, 40 meetings, you've covered the full gamut of everything that you will ever experience in your entire career in that industry, pretty much. Yes. And all of it can be prepared for. And if you don't, it's a gross act of negligence. Exactly. And, and another thing too is, another metaphor for AQ and answers some, you know, I get this question a lot, like, you know, which answers do you start a meeting with, you know, and things like this. And, you know, should we start with a story or some other answer type? And those are fine. But you know, for purpose, of my point here, another metaphor for AQ is, you know, against a wheel, 
It's a spinning wheel. doesn't matter where you start. As long as the conversation gets going, you have speed and you create you know, something interesting. And what you find is, even if you do get a stump question that you don't know the answer to, if you created enough credibility, enough high-quality answers, and this can happen really quickly and in a matter of seconds, that you have the space to maybe co-create the answers with the client. You know, and that's completely exciting stuff. And eventually, if you start with high quality answers, where does the conversation go? Ultimately, to a point where nobody knows the answers and you work on it together, and that's a real partnership. And in fact, just take a leaf out of uh, the old uh, TV detective Columbo's book. If you don't know, admit and just say, you know, Brian, I'm not sure. Do you mind helping me? try and clarify a couple of things. And then you can dig a little bit and you can start understanding the motive, the cause and the intent behind the question, because then you can frame your answer to be relevant. And this speaks back to a point you made earlier, which is that you need to have range as a seller nowadays. It's not enough to become a technical specialist. Buyers do not want to buy your point solution. They want to have a solution that solves their problem. And if you're stuck and you don't play nicely with others and you don't integrate well and it's clunky and you have problems and you're blaming everybody else, and chances are you're going to only pick up the crumbs and you're going to have a very hard time in this recession. And Brian's right. You do need to have an eclectic range of knowledge. You need to read widely. And I, I would recommend that you read around behavioral science, around psychology, read biographies, definitely, definitely read history. Get uh, an, a basic understanding of economics and on both sides of the political spectrum so that you can make an informed decision um, instead of going with polemic and dogma. Um, because again, I think part of the problem here is that under pressure, people will revert back to their limbic brain and they will do really stupid things and make daft decisions because of lack of preparation. And when I've gone in prepared, which I thankfully do more often than not, I normally come out with an order that is five times higher in the initial order value than when I go in and wing it. So it costs me 80% of the fee for however long the lifetime is of that customer. Yeah, just to amplify what you're saying, when you think of preparation, think of a novelist. They have a character, and everything about the character exists within the book. But that character exists in multiples of pages outside of the book in terms of the preparation and developing that character. It's the same way when you go into a conversation in a sales context. You have so much knowledge, you're bringing in little pieces where they're necessary. And this applies both you know, across all your answers and within an answer. So one thing I like to talk about, for example, is the depth of your answers. So take a metaphor. So if you can deliver an initial metaphor, can you deepen it a little bit later? And it's extremely powerful. And then you have all this knowledge. For example- yeah, like a callback. A so callback. Call back to something from earlier. Yeah, so for example, in a, with AQ, I talk about it, you know, as a, a metaphor, as a multi-stage rocket. So a three-stage rocket fires one, two, three at the thrusters. Yeah. The AQ, there's these five high AQ practices of techniques you can use. And I say, you know, it's a rocket and, you know, you have to use all five. Okay. Fast forward a little bit later in the conversation, I can say, you know, that high AQ practice one is most important. Did you know that over 500,000 gallons of fuel are expelled at the liftoff of the Apollo rocket? 
And that's, you know, going to be challenging for you. And you need to, you know, work into this too. But anyways, my point is you can imagine this unfolding over a conversation where I'm adding little pieces and wrinkles and that adds depth. You don't want right. to add so it you're all. Ta- you're taking them on a journey through that metaphor exactly. and you're giving them milestones along that journey. And presumably it needs to align with their struggling moments so that you can be there as the guide, not the hero. Exactly. And that's also relates to other things like with AQ or take the, the other side of this with objections. If someone tells you a story about, you know, that's inconsistent with your beliefs, I can't just tell a story that's going to, you know, convince them. You know, it's like shouting louder. So you have to sort of use adjacent answers and sort of be nimble. So you always have to be aware of who's the hero and how you counteract and how you move the conversation. Here's another example. The idea of transforming uh, a story into a metaphor. So we all know the story of Romeo and Juliet, right? And I don't have to explain it. As a metaphor, that's star-crossed lovers. So now imagine if you're talking to your client, they tell a story and you can transform it into a metaphor. You're adding value. You're fanning their flame without taking away from their story. So this is really in our research of my research of the top communicators. They dynamically move between these answer types create very interesting conversations. And I can go on and on, like Steve Jobs and his product launch. He has a story, he has a procedure, he has a key action. And all these things are just seamlessly integrated in a way that creates this tapestry of interest. Okay, so what would be really helpful? Could you juxtapose a terrible answer with a great answer so that we can see the difference using the same content, but yeah, having a, the syntax and the framework yeah. of the emphasis okay. and the yeah, so I'm a management professor by training, so I'll give you something related to, to management. Imagine you're a sales, I'll put in the sales context. You're a sales manager and your charge is to do mentoring with your team. So if you asked me as the sales manager, what is mentoring? A bad answer would be, you know, just, just helping people when they need it. You know, it's, it's okay. Now, a strong answer you would define and dimensionalize. So I could define and I could say, mentoring is helping someone become their future best self in their career. Okay, a little bit better. But this is where it gets really good. In terms of dimensioning, I could say, you have to focus on three things, career support, social support, and role modeling for others. And then I could further talk about those and like the procedure of how to do it. So there's a difference between someone that just sort of defines something in a very loose way and someone who defines it more precisely. I have a good definition and strong dimensions. Because then you might have, just to really punctuate this, you might say, well, how do I, I've, I've explained what mentoring is, for example, social support. You may now say, how do I provide social support? And I could say, thank you for asking that question. Let me tell you about open door policy. I can explain a procedure of all the steps of how you would do it. So I have full knowledge of everything. I don't just have superficial knowledge and I can help move someone through their understanding. Right, okay. So um, one of, I think, the freshest minds in sales today, Simon Bowen says, you can't sell shallow and sell deep at the same time. And what's really interesting is that you might come in at a, a high superficial level to capture their attention. And uh, again, I think what's really key here is about being present and observing the response to your answers because uh, it gives you an opportunity to refine. So again, 
clarion call for those of you who actually pay any bloody attention to what I say. Make sure that you do a written post-call debrief and then debrief verbally, giving your written responses to somebody else so that they can interrogate you more deeply and you capture the lessons, you identify the gaps, the questions and the, uh, the issues that remain unanswered, uh, the points of interest um, that will get you unstuck, and then use that to inform your pre-call plan for the next stage. And if you don't do this, you will pay a very heavy price because you will have to go out and find more opportunities. And remember, 99% of your cost and your effort and your time is taken up in trying to get prospects to the line, and only about 1% is actually spent on getting them over the line. That's quite a terrifying uh, concept when you consider just how much waste. So my question here is, given that so many processes in the entire sales and marketing uh, and recruitment and compensation, all of that, drive results that fail north of 80% of the time as a matter of routine. Why is it that this persists when surely the most obvious question in the world is, is there a better way? Because anything that fails 80% of the time, you've got a question, surely. Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of other frameworks and tools out there. And what distinguishes a better framework from a lesser framework is sort of acceptance, ultimately. It's, it's basically like an organ transplant. Will, the, will it be accepted? A lot of things are too complex. With AQ, it's built upon simple questions and answers. And arguably, it's, it's something that is less likely to be rejected, like an organ transplant. And when I talk to executives, they like AQ because it's simple questions and answers. It's not some exotic framework you have to learn, and they can build upon it. So I think one, it has to be simple, but not then second, it has to be not simplistic. There's some richness to AQ, and there's some techniques that people can learn and master their craft. But you put those two things in combination, it makes a difference. So, for example, we've talked, I haven't talked about some of the practices, but I'll give you one example. One of them is answering twice. So, for important why, what, and how questions, you want to answer twice, which means in one utterance, you want to appeal to both the logical side of the brain and the emotional side of the brain. So, for example, let's relate this to, you know, sort of sales mentoring again. Imagine you have a new report. And they want to know how you lead, or they want to know what leadership is to you. So they may ask this explicit question, but it'd probably be implicit. And I might just come out and say, leadership to me is inspiring others and holding people accountable. It's like two ropes. When the ropes are separate, they're strong. But when they're braided together, they're stronger. That's how I lead each meeting. I'm going to try to inspire and hold you accountable. So that's an example of a, a concept answer and a metaphor answer in one utterance. Now you can do the same thing to the client. Imagine there's that question, you know, that's out there. Why should I work with you? You do a story and you explain the theory, the business strategy, all in one utterance. And in terms of not being simplistic, you don't want to answer twice every time that that becomes a monologue. And it loses its impact, but you use it for emphasis. So my response to you of, why AQ is an effective framework and why other frameworks don't work is they're not simple enough 
and they're simplistic. So this is, you know, simple, but not simplistic. And, and that's sort of a, uh, the formula for something that's going to be effective that you can use every day. Very, very interesting. Okay. In terms of a self-reflection tool and as a self-guidance tool, how have you seen people using answer intelligence in that context? Yeah, I think the number one thing is to think about your topic in terms of six answers for self-reflection. So I've done work with sales organizations. You know, think about your value proposition in terms of six answers. And what is your value proposition? And why do they work with you? How do they work with you? And you can take an inventory individually and collectively as an organization and start to inventory those answers. Now you're starting to develop intelligent answer sets. And you, have the, you share those, you circulate those within your organization. Now you're really thinking through um, you know, selling and communicating. That's where I would start with self-reflection is just, you know, think about six answers for whatever the topic is. Right. And it, when you're doing this exercise, it strikes me that it would make enormous sense to have anybody who faces the customer or people from those teams involved, customer success, marketing, let's pretend that they do face the customer because the good ones do, sales, um, outbound, uh, even people doing inbound, and I think product, the people who touch the customer at points of operation or finance, because I think all of those people can add real value because of the stories hidden in the small data, in the conversations that are being had one-on-one, uh, -on -one, human to human. And most of that stuff never goes into the CRM. It might get captured on Gong, but by and large, I don't think people are looking at that data with um, the right kind of mind. Yeah, I think, you know, putting it in CRM is a whole other question. Now, though, I think it's possible to put some of this in the CRM. You know, so, you know, for example, um, I mean, you could catalog different metaphors or stories or examples and, and, and try to connect with people. I think that's, that's possible. But, but the, the, the broader point I think, you know, I want to focus on is, yes, you're absolutely right. It's like the, you know, the saying, you know, you have to sing, sing from the same hymnal. You have to have the same type of answers you're going to be responding. It doesn't mean they have to be exactly the same. If you're telling a story that has a certain ethos and certain direction as a salesperson and customer service is telling a very different story, or they don't realize that story is being told, they're not going to implement procedures and things consistent with it. So it creates a very sort of choppy sort of conversation. And frankly, maybe you're lucky and you have a conversation at the sales front end that's very robust and multidimensional like we're talking about. But then you go to customer service, you go someplace else, and it's it's not like that at all. It's very oh, yeah. transactional, and you know that that's going to eat away at the relationship with the you know, client. This again is um, a really important question because I'm trying to imagine how the sales and marketing operation is going to look in the future, and with the escalation of salaries, with the arms race that's going on around technology and data with the increased level of competition and the level of education that customers already have. I think sales is going to have to do a really serious reset because 
Customers don't want to care about your features and functions. And the people who do are probably not the ones who buy. But you look at the way uh, the KPIs are set up. The KPIs are set up to drive behavior like more conversations and more demos and more proposals and all of that stuff. But that doesn't actually move the needle forward in most cases because a lot of that activity is dead. Winning by design, I heard today, and now quoting the average win rate at final stage is one in eight. Now, one in eight. Think about that. You need eight full sales cycles to get one deal over the line. Now, if you have a sales motion that has seven, eight, 12, 20 different touches, that's you multiply that out by eightfold. Now, then consider that on average, seven out of eight first meetings do not result in a second. You're now talking about 64 times the work just to get one deal over the line. And that's only if you have a two-step close. Now, many of these enterprise deals don't, and so it's exponentially larger. So we're wasting an inordinate amount of time on the wrong end of the problem at, the, at exactly the wrong time. You know, we cannot afford to be giving away these profits. You know, if I could take your point and dovetail with another point and sort of uh, speak to it. Please. You have a confluence of, of forces here. You know, for a while, the buyer has become more educated. So they're coming into the sales process more educated. They may have answers and correct answers, but there's, they're in the game faster and you got to answer their questions. The second factor is the sort of the virtualization of selling. So people don't want to sit on the phone calls and, and spend as much time together. So those two factors coming together means there's a premium on effective conversations. So what we're talking about here with AQ is about the quality of those answers. How quickly can you get to, oh my gosh, this is the person I need to work with. I've never heard that answer before. Being on point. And a lot of times this is subtle. It's about the ability to navigate. So for example, when I'm working, I sell through partners. And when I'm you know, trying to get people to be certified in AQ consulting firms, and I'll, in my reach out, I'll say, I want a partnership. And that's sort of a vacuous term. So I had a, a prospect one time get on the call and they were sort of, you know, not too interested. And they thought, you know, partnership was some kind of just term I threw out there that I didn't really mean. And I quickly said, to me, partnership is giving up time, talent, and energy. And I went on and gave all these examples, but I defined what partnership was. I took control of it. And it's about whether it's the, that's a concept answer, whether it's a concept answer, a metaphor, or a story. If you take control and have these high quality answers, people are going to respond. And, you know, that's basically an environment to tie this together where buyers know more and you have less time. You have to be better at conversations and you have to, you know, get there faster. That means your answers have to be sharper. Your questions have to be sharper. And that's um, basically what the AQ framework is about. And what we learn from the top golf instructors in the world, and to really punctuate this, one of them who taught, was on the Golf Digest top 50 list, taught half the people on this list. This is someone in the upper half of the 99th percentile of their profession. He said within the first two minutes, he would do something with a new student to fundamentally change their swing. Now that's answers. Now that's the kind of focus we have to put on ourselves as sellers to have that kind of impact really quick. And I just don't think most people are there. And this mirrors 
the corporate visions research, which states very clearly that the people who tend to win at scale and repeatedly and consistently turn up and disrupt current preferences early in the sale. The first thing they do is they bring value by helping rip the scales from the buyer's eyes. The next thing they do is they create the points of difference between the status quo and the competition in themselves so that there's a clear uh, space between them. They anticipate buyer's remorse and they neutralize that. All of that can be prepared for in the answers phase. And in fact, it's kind of, uh, in my experience, it's the stuff that you should often lead with very early in the conversation because they will have those concerns. And there was a McKinsey study I read about six, eight weeks ago that referred to how often the seller creates dissonance with the buyer and creates doubt by the paucity of their answers and uh, the evasiveness. So one of the things that really is racing through my head at the moment is how often the sales and marketing motion is out of sync with the buyer where they are on their journey. Are they just trying to work out what the hell is going on and making space? Are they learning how to solve their problem when they're in the passive looking phase? Are they active looking and trying to work out what their options are? Are they then in the deciding phase and removing the stuff that they don't need and keeping the stuff that they do? On first use, does the experience meet expectation? And then in terms of ongoing use, is it habituated? Now, my question is early in that cycle, in the making space and the passive looking phase, it strikes me that at that point, being able to provide useful, insightful answers and provocative questions is the ideal time not to sell, but to help the buyer realize what is possible and help them move their understanding and their concept of what might be within their grasp. Because up until that moment, they won't have had it. So I'm really interested in your framework in that context. Totally agree. And to go back to a point you made prior, most of the questions that have been asked have been asked before. So if that's true, which I think is true, you go into conversations, you know the questions they're going to have. You might have need a couple questions just to locate where they're at, but you know the questions. So you don't need to ask the questions. You provide the answers to their implicit questions. That's And, and by the way, here's a little nugget for you. There's three types of questions as, as they see it. There's explicit questions where they verbalize, you know, why, how, or what, or something like that. There's implicit questions where they're not verbalizing it, but they're sitting there and they have those questions, right? And oftentimes we associate those nonverbals, you know, other things like that, implicit questions. And the third type is, this is the really fun stuff, latent questions, the questions they should be asking, but they're not. And you know they should be. You connect the buyer to these latent questions and you provide the answers, then you're going to win for sure. But but going back to, you know, the, the, the first point there and in your prior point is that, as sellers, we should know what the main questions are. So why are we engaging so much in question asking? Let's just get to the answers and show them the way. Give them the answers. Provide that value. And that's really where I think the key selling is. And, and frankly, I, I, anyways, that's it. Okay, because this is really interesting because I, I was taught never answer an unasked question. However, 
if you're reading the the room, if you're reading the body language, the subconscious micro expressions, the temperature, the tone, you've got 3 billion years of evolutionary hardwiring working in your favor if you choose to pay attention and learn how that works in you. So you need to become self-aware of your own physiological response to tell you what your gut is trying to warn you of. Is this good? Is this bad? Because your gut, the irony is, if you don't have kids, you are the peak of your evolutionary line. If you do have kids, they are. Um, and that probably doesn't give, uh, give you hope on either case. What I'm really curious about is how do we use the repartee of providing an answer and then feeding the right kind of questions so that you're helping them extend their understanding and provoke their next question back. Because it strikes me that what you're actually trying to do is this kind of choreographed ballet where you're trying to encourage the kind of question through your answer. And then you can ask uh, ask a clarifying question back so that you can get a good sense of motive, cause, and intent and maybe demonstrate your knowledge through your questioning uh, and then them come back with another question. So it's that flow. It's a, a virtuous cycle. It could be an upward spiral where the question's answers are better and better. It could be stale where it's going nowhere. It could be going down. And it's a, it's a dance. You know, the questions and the answers are a dance and you need both. You just want to cultivate both. I mean, it sounds very simple, but, but that's the goal. And, and how do you know when a, a conversation is effective? The answers you're getting are interesting. The questions you're getting are interesting. You know, when we're selling, you know, the, the very interesting questions from the buyer, we know they're interested when they're asking these questions. Same thing when we're selling, you know, a buyer is going to say, are these interesting questions? The, the buyer does not want to hear, you know, tell me a little bit about your industry. My goodness, right? They want that subtlety. That's going to stimulate more questions. If you show up prepared, it's firstly the right thing to do because you know, they're, they're investing time. And at the level that you and I sell at, um, these people are uh, on 40,000 a day they're meant to be generating, you know, 50, 100,000 a day, a million a day in some cases. You know, if I've got the CEO of a big uh, corporate, they're responsible for hundreds of millions or billions of uh, dollars of P&L. Um, so their time is incredibly precious. How dare a salesperson turn up and how dare an organization let a salesperson turn up unprepared and unresearched? I think that's an obscenity and no wonder they never get invited back. My view is that questions and answers are both important. And you know, the emphasis that for me is on answers because it's underappreciated. That being said, questions and answers have different roles that people don't fully, I think, get. I think if I had to boil it down, perhaps overly reductionistic, questions serve many functions. To me, questions are about curiosity. Answers are about influence. I think there's this false narrative that overstates the influence of a question. You ask a good question, you're going to influence someone. I'll tell you a little story, an example of a pharmaceutical company. A seller was selling into an executive buyer, and he had five minutes on the schedule. And his meeting got extended to an hour. And the reason was because he was providing answers about the buyer's clinical trial process. And, that, and, the, and the executive buyer said, free up my calendar, I want to know this. You're never going to get that same response if you come in with compelling questions. I'm going to free up my calendar as these questions I'm getting are so exciting. It's the answers. Going back to the beginning of our call, it's the 
You know, when you answer questions in a job interview, you get the job. When you answer the question that keeps the proverbial buyer up at night, you close the deal. And I think we need to reset our thinking and understand questions and answers are both important, but it's the answers that provide the influence as a primary function. If we get behind that, I think we can really create better conversations. And if any of you are in doubt, go back to the episode that I did with Jacques Chamas. Jacques was CFO for, what was the old airline, uh, American airline that eventually went bust years ago, but... The TED? No, it was a bit, it was a huge one. Pan Am. Oh, Pan Am, yeah. He was the CFO for Pan Am back in the 80s. Then he was for Standard & Poor's. He worked for Charles Schwab as a CFO, and he made a really important point. His point was that CFOs have a secondary job, uh, which is an unwritten line on their job description, which is talent spotter. And he's excited when a salesperson is coming in to meet him because he is going to get answers to questions that he has. He's going to learn something. And if within the first two minutes he doesn't learn something, that's a very short meeting because he does not have the time to waste on someone pitching them features and functions. So if you're turning up to a C-suite, make sure you have done your preparation, you've done your research, you've thought about the questions they're going to ask, the objections they're going to have to you, your company, uh, your products, reasons why they shouldn't buy the status quo, their existing portfolio products or services, what you could replace, what the strengths and weaknesses are of your competition, not so that you can be rude about them, but so that you can be informed and you can inform your buyer because buyers are scared naturally of making a bad decision. There's a lot of scrutiny. And when you're talking about seven, eight, nine-figure sums, you have an obligation to look after your customer. Uh, You can't go in and expect them to uh, be your champion if you're effectively going to throw them under the bus by being the vendor that they defend. And there's nothing that, you know, there's no substance. So you have to make sure that your answers fit with their jobs to be done. Well said, and just to stress uh, sort of one point there. I love that in two, two minutes, if you don't have effective answers, you're out. And this in AQ terms, we're talking about the economy of answers, the ability to version your answers. So for example, you have a story. Do you have a 15 second version of a story, a 30 second, a minute and a half? And in that two minute meeting, you maybe can't go to the minute and a half right away. You need the 30 second version or the 15 second version and have other answers woven in there and you weave in a couple answers and all of a sudden the meeting opens up and now you have the full 15 minutes or whatever it might be. But this is about being a student of your answers. It's the content of your answers. It's understanding question answer mapping. It's understanding different techniques and principles like, you know, versioning. You put it all together and you're a compelling, effective conversationalist. And you've got to capture and index this stuff and also spread the load. Uh, One of my favorite tools is uh, mobile practice, which means that I can issue an intervention to you and say, "Uh, Brian, I noticed when we were talking about the price increase, your voice voice choked a little. Uh, Do you mind if we investigate why? Dig a little bit into that. And then I can issue an intervention so you can practice that moment of communication until you own it. And then I can coach you on it. 
and it can go back and forth. But now we can create a repository of best practices. So we can use those in the pre-onboarding and the onboarding phase. Whenever anyone has a problem, the first thing they do is they look at this repository of answers that have been built by the entire team. And if it's been properly indexed, it's easy for people to find this stuff. So if we can wrap up then in terms of the organization and the structure of how you frame these or how you make sure that you're securing these answers and making them available to everybody so that they have them at the point of need. Yeah, I think so. knowledge management is not my area of expertise, but keep it very simple. You know, working with organizations, it's about cataloging. You know, if organizations create simple lists, you know, in Excel or CVS files, and you want to have access to these answers and then sort of regularly practice them and role model and role play them. And at the heart of it, this is fairly simple. You know, we're saying, understand there's there's six answers, document these six answers, think in terms of the six answers, and I think uh, you can be effective. But, you know, the grand solution of how this is all organized in some technology, you know, I, I don't know if uh, I have an answer for that, but I'm sure it's, it's uh, fairly straightforward from this starting point. What books would you recommend on the subject? Good question. You know, this, you, you've got a book, haven't you? I have a book. I recommend my own book. It's a uh, Answer Intelligence, Raise Your AQ, and it's a book that that goes over the initial research of the top golf instructors, the five high AQ practices, and um, we have co-authored chapters on different topics, including sales, with uh, folks from Salesforce and Gong. So I encourage you to check that out. Fantastic. Okay, so you've got a golden ticket. You can go back and you can advise the idiot Brian, age 23. What would you whisper in his ear that you know he'd have ignored but would have benefited from? I think I would have um, just leaned into my own intuition about what I wanted to do as a professional. You know, this is this book and the research I'm doing now and where I'm at is what I've wanted to do for, you know, 20 plus years, but for various reasons. I didn't do exactly what I'm doing now. I think I would have. What, what was that journey? I never got round to you know, My journey was my background. I've been in and out of academia as a professor. Had a software company based on some of my research at some point. And I've been, you know, in and out of academia, mostly academia. And um, just really where I'm at now is an intellectual property framework, working with consulting firms and coaches and trainers. It just sort of, you know, meets my interests for what makes me happy and where I think I can provide value. And I think for various reasons, I wasn't at that sweet spot of an intersection, you know, the various you know, voices inside me, you know, I you know wasn't ready to do this or didn't know who to work with and wish I would have just, you know, pushed a little bit further. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So obituary question, what do you want to be remembered for? Well, of course, you know, Beyond the, the personal characteristics, you know, good family man, father, husband, and that. And professionally, you know, my goal is that answer intelligence is the number one communication framework in the world. That's the goal. I think there's an absence of communication frameworks. There are communication adjacent frameworks, like people will say, like, you know, use DIST, DISC to help you improve your communication. That is a personality framework, essentially. It's not a communication framework. So 
I have my big hairy goal is to have the number one communication framework in the world. And right now we have, you know, certified partners in 13 countries and you're working to make that happen. Fantastic. So how can people get hold of you either to ask questions, follow up on this, or even maybe look at certification? Yeah, thank you. You can find me on LinkedIn, Brian Glubkowski. I'm the only Brian Glubkowski. Additionally, the website is raiseyouraq.com. And there is a free test for anyone that would like to take it. It's called the Explore AQ, and you get a 10-page PDF report. So I also encourage you to check that out. Oh, excellent. I should be popping onto that in a moment. Um, Excellent. Brian Glipkowski, thank you so much. Thank you, Marcus. This has been a a really stimulating conversation. I've done many podcasts, but uh, intellectually and uh, your energy in this conversation, I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that. Thank you. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And also tag someone who really needs to improve their answers. And for goodness sake, get the book. So Answer Intelligence, Raise Your AQ, and also goes to raiseyouraq.com to test your own intelligence. Now, if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And if you want to talk about training and coaching, there is a link in the blurb to set up a meeting. I'm also launching two programs, Hiring Winners and the Successful Selling Program. Hiring Winners is all about predictive hiring, making sure that you get James Bond, um, uh, James Bond, not James Bean. And uh, the Successful Selling is an ongoing reinforcement program that's all based on real life. So you'll get to use real life context uh, of your world and we'll work out how to make you sell more with less effort because I'm intrinsically lazy and I figure everyone should uh, double the money for half the work. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Take care, stay safe, happy selling. Bye-bye.